Welcome to the Everyday Whiteness podcast series, The Uncomfortable Conversations on Well-Meaning White People. This podcast is primarily for white listeners. It's also a podcast for all listeners who unconsciously operate through a lens of whiteness, regardless of the body that you inhabit. It's not meant to shame you for being white or thinking white, but rather to support you in having more awareness of the impact of your whiteness as a cultural code of conditioning. My name is Guru Nishan. I'm a disruptor of cultural indoctrination and actively support the dismantling of false identity by curating uncomfortable conversations on taboo topics hiding in plain sight. I stand committed to the ongoing dismantling of internalized whiteness within myself and to make visible what is often rendered invisible in business, community, and culture. I want to welcome today's guest to the Everyday Whiteness Podcast. His name is Daniil Castillo. He's 44 years old, grew up in Arizona, and has his bachelor's degree in business administration and a master's of science in leadership and development. He's currently an associate pastor at a church and has been married to Andrea for 20 years, who is a white woman. Both he and his wife have had to deal with racist views from family members on both sides. And over the years, he has dealt with a lot of racist issues in all sorts of settings of his life. But he has also come to realize that most racist views are just rooted in ignorance. He and his wife have two wonderful biological children and adopted two Native American boys seven years ago. I want to welcome you to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here, Danielle. Oh, it's it's a pleasure and honor to be here with you. Thanks. So I want to let listeners know that uh, the way that I know uh, Danielle is um, he, he and I uh, went to grade school together, uh, middle school, I should say, seventh and eighth grade. Uh, but actually earlier than that, I should actually say grade school. Yeah, we went to school together at uh, grade in school. Canto, in Canto, yeah. and Clarendon. Uh, and yeah, you better believe it. Yep. And Osborne. It wasn't just about. So I remember you <laughs> all the way from like third grade. Yeah, wow. So I'm letting listeners yeah. know this is, um, you know, just through the amazing technology of the world of Facebook, you know, we're in touch. And so I invited uh, Danielle onto the podcast and I, um, we don't know each other in our adult lives, but I just really appreciate hearing your life uh, in a bio. Yes. <laughs> and I do, do want to sum it up. Here. <laughs> Good. Thank you. Um, I always start the podcast out with um, when you hear well-meaning white people, what does this even mean to you? Well, I think what well-meaning means that you, you initially have good intentions. You do. But good intentions don't always lead to progress or success. They lead to, I think, what you've been taught and what you've been told. And I understand why you have this podcast is to help inform people of maybe some of the unconscious things that they just do in their everyday life that they don't realize could be offensive or hurting someone else just by the way that they've been brought up over the years or by the culture you're around has taught you to be and you're here to give them information to help uh, deconstruct that everyday way of thinking and to see it through other people's perspectives so we can become uh, altogether better human beings yeah well said thank you <laughs> yes and no she didn't write that for me either right i know that wasn't a, <laughs> that wasn't a, a commercial um 
you know, I mean, that's definitely my intention. Um, but I'm not in a black body and I'm not a black male going through yeah. the world. And so I just want to say that out loud and say thank you for reiterating what is true for me of where this podcast comes from. And and yet you have a lived experience of 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 dealing with it. And yes. we'd love to get a I don't know where you want to begin, but I'd love to get a, a you to snapshot us into what that is like in your world. If you want to start you know, growing up or you want to start from yeah, day, wherever you I'll want start to. from growing up. Um, growing up in a household where my dad um, is Mexican and my mom uh, is black, I, I was pretty much exposed to racist views and how people look at things from the age of five when I never got a chance to read my grandma because she was told and uh, to my father and my mother in a letter, um, I don't want to meet your kids because they're half black. So you, you automatically, you automatically kind of have this chip on your shoulder from day one because you're trying to figure out how do I fit into this from your own family member not accepting you and she never met me. How, how do you even know what I'm up, what I'm about, or what I stand for when you've never even held me in your arms to know what I'm about. So as growing up as a young man, I kind of kind of knew that life was going to be different for me from that perspective. And then I remember when I was about 11 years old, my dad set me down and explained it all out to me. But in that same setting, he came to me and said, son, when the cops pull you over, or if someone of authority, security that has authority, you listen to them because they will hurt you if you try to fight back or maybe even kill you. And this is me at 11 years old going to grade school thinking to yourself, that would be something that's the least of your worry. But you're talking back in the 80s and 90s that this conversation was happening. Mm. And it was just something that my dad told us as kids because he wanted his kids to come home. And let's be real, most people don't ever have that conversation with their children at that age, especially coming from a neighborhood where I lived in a pretty bad neighborhood where shooting and gangs and violence was, was really prevalent. Um, it was something my dad just told us as kids that if you, you need to come home, so make sure that you, if you get pulled over by the cops or they ask you a question, you put your hands up, you don't. You don't fight back. You don't say anything this because he had already seen the issues and he was just trying to make sure his sons came home every night. Mm -hmm. Right, right. He's giving, um, in that same time, I want to pause for a second. There was just a lot there. Your grandma, your mom, uh, Mexican and your dad's black. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so no, my, my, my mom, my mom's black and my dad's Mexican. Sorry about that. Mom's black, dad's Mexican. And so your dad's side, his mom is the one that that said cut cut you guys off and didn't want to meet you because because your dad chose to be with a black woman. Yep. Yeah. And so let's just pause and really feel that, right? Um, because you know I'm framing everything through through whiteness, but I really wanted to really this to land that it's not necessarily the body you inhabit, but the ideology in which we're carrying right and mm -hmm. where do we get that ideology we get that ideology from the family the class 
the status mm-hmm. we're in, right? So that the the Mexican family of of your dad's side, right? When we break down the genealogy and the history of that, like where the rooted racism of their family is rooted from, right? And why that would be the case of your grandma. It's complex, right? And whether he's done that in his family or we do it in our own, we have to look that it's not just the color of your skin that makes you whiteness or racist right it's mm-hmm. it's, the, it's the constructs that you're holding which can be rooted in race racist ideology yeah and see what a lot of people don't understand is you grow up with that hurt being at a young age that you never even knew that would be there like i was born i was born this way i didn't get a chance to choose my race or my culture that I grew up in and you know growing up as a as a young black man because that's the way I look people never really and truly ever asked me about the other side of my culture or where I grew up with and why I kind of you know had to like people almost made me pick and choose what side I was just by the color of my skin but they didn't understand yeah but they didn't understand I I wasn't really given a choice. I was kind of pushed by the way our culture says you have to pick a side here. And I never wanted to do that because I love my dad and my mom exactly the same. Mm. But that hurt was in there from the other side of the family from the very beginning because I wasn't accepted by my own family. Yes. Yes. And the complexity of this, like there's a long history of, of Mexican culture that has to be looked at to be an examined to really be able to fully lend itself to the complexity of, of, of that, right. Of having your your dad's side of the family cut you off and not want to see their own grandchildren. And unfortunately it's not unique, right. It's more common than we'd like to believe in terms of how these racist ideologies get rooted in, in families and cultures. Um, but I just want to go back to that hurt where it's like, yeah, you didn't choose you. And, and then how the culture, the, this culture you grow up in makes you, makes you more black because you yes. have blackness from the outside. I definitely had never known you enough to know that your dad's Mexican and your mom's yeah. black. I and don't so know that it, about you personally. Yeah. And I, and we never exchange. And so, like you said, it's like, I just, the assumption is you're black. You look black. You have any ounce of black in you. You are black. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And, and here's the crazy thing. I mean, like I had, I had an Afro was a little kid and I used to my hair. It's like, so like people automatically assume that, but they never asked me. And to be honest with you, one day when someone did ask me, it almost like it almost brought tears in my eyes because it, it made me realize like, why, why does it have to be this way? And over years of going through healing and talking to my dad about it, you know, one of the things that I realized with my own children that I, I, I instill in my kids from the day that they were born is you love your neighbor as you love yourself. You always make sure that you love people regardless of where they're at. Because that's not your call and judgment to say what race they are, where they or what they've gone through. You just love people because people have been through so much, and we can never see it just by looking at their face. We have to have these types of conversations to help us understand where people have come from and why they are the way they are. Yes, yes, yes. So well said. 
So well said. So I want to bring you back to this conversation your dad has. Yeah. Not only your grandma cuts you off and you don't get to meet your dad's side of the family, but your dad is with your mom and you grow up with yeah. your dad and your mom in a household. And your dad simultaneously to that has this conversation around you're a black man in the world. This is the way people see you, regardless yes. of how you are inside. This is the, what the world sees. And as a black young man, you need to know X and you get the talk the talk that we now know black boys have gotten for decades and these I got mine when I I remember like it was this days like 1987 88 89 maybe right around there I remember my dad set us down on this old rusty couch we had that had a bunch of that was really dusty and dirty I remember us sitting down and he sat down and looked me and my brother in the eye and told us this and at first it kind of caught me off guard I'm like why would he have this conversation? But as I got older, I understood. Yeah. It didn't make sense to me at the time. I'm just a kid trying to play video games. I don't have the, the concerns that that my dad saw, but he did it because he loved us and he wanted to see his sons come home each and every day. Yes. And just trying to give you a perspective so that when it does happen, even though it's like it's nebulous in the moment, when it does happen, you can have a reference point to something so that there gets to be like some foundation of, of expectation, even though it, um, I could imagine as a kid, like you said, it's like, this is adult stuff. Like, what you talking about? You know, like, you yeah, like that, you can keep that pops. <laughs> yeah. But, but here's the crazy thing. It came to fruition when I was 13, 14 years old, when uh, me and some of friends in the neighborhood were walking around, there was, there was a bunch of guys that we used to know for many years that would sell. I never did just because my parents always had an eye on me and they taught me better. But we ended up getting pulled over by some cops and they told us to put our hands up against the wall. They started searching us and I did exactly what they said. And I came home and I explained to my dad what happened. He said, I told you, son, that was going to happen to you. So he was doing it to protect us. He was doing yes. it to make sure his sons came home. Mm. Yes. Yeah, so you growing up, you're in Arizona. I mean, give us give us some more here. I know you got Yeah, um, growing <laughs> up in Arizona was was interesting because um we were one of those states that still didn't acknowledge Martin Luther King Day. We had the stigma over us that we were still this racist state and a lot of people came here with the views of that and people still held, held on to a lot of those views. And one of the things that I've learned over the years was I can't, I can't win people over to understand where I'm coming from by having the great debate and the argument with people. You can't because people don't realize the hurt that, that happens with all of this stuff that's happened over the years and dealing with people that don't accept you because of your race or your culture you come from, that stuff begins to put calluses on you. Like it puts calluses on your heart to where you don't want to let people in because you feel like you're going to get hurt when you get to know them better. They may not accept you. And I learned that as I was going through this, if I just love people and try to figure out where they're coming from and open up to my culture so they can see where I'm coming from to understand the pain that I've gone through and the issues I've gone through, if I can just change one person to hear my side of the story, to have them open up their eyes and see 
wow, this is the reason why this person feels this way. I've done my job. I've done my job to give people knowledge to understand that. And there was some people in my life, especially um, on my mom's side of the family that helped me come to realize that I'm not going to change everybody. And some people are going to be born to be ignorant this way, that they're going to, that's what they're going to choose to do. But my uncle told me years ago, he said, if you can change one person to see things in new light, you're making the world a better place. So I've always just lived by that, that concept and idea of one at a time, meeting people one at a time and allowing them into my personal life, my own personal space so they can see and feel open to ask questions about, hey, um, I had a friend, Tracy, years ago who had never, ever met, like had never been into a household with Black people. So it was so funny. She, no joke, she came over to my house one time and asked me. It was the funniest thing in the world. She said, hey, is it true that you guys have Kool-Aid in the refrigerator? <laughs> well, to make to make matters worse, we did have grape Kool-Aid in the refrigerator. So like one of the stereotypes is already knocked out. But the funny thing was, in her mind, she had been she had heard it from somewhere and was taught that. So she'd already had in her mind and thinking, well, if you're black, you've automatically got Kool-Aid in the refrigerator. Like that, that was a signature that she grew up hearing from someone or someone told her and that just became a way of her thinking and i want people to understand and know when you meet people who are of opposite race don't don't feel as if just because they're different than you that you can't ask questions i would rather you ask me and let me obliterate some of those stereotypes mm. than you go and continuously walking around ignorant thinking things that aren't truly and dearly true Mm, mm. Yeah, I really like what you're saying. It's it's the it's the inhibition that that people feel to as if we're supposed to know about other cultures, yeah. as if you're supposed to have the answer, as if it's wrong to ask a question that is about curiosity. Like if you were a child and you were like, "Is it true?" Blah, right? But there is that line of it's like, "Oh my God, is that offensive?" And if you ask, yeah, the wrong black person and get the they wrong come response, right? And, and all the things. And, and so it's just so sweet, number one, that she felt safe enough to do that. And, and what I'm hearing in, in your stance in the world, in, in a way, if, if you can call it that, is that you're doing what you can to, to be the atmosphere of safety so that yes. people do feel safe to ask a question and know that they won't be shamed if it's, the wrong question or an inappropriate question or a question rooted in um, a, a stereotype, which is well, what you just but, Yeah, but what's happened is, and me and you both know this, when you watch too much TV and you allow the media to determine what you believe and how you view a specific set of people, that's what you see. And that, uh, that shapes and forms how you look at a specific culture or, or women or men that live in a certain part of the world or a certain part of the country, that's how you view it. So when you see, like, the funny thing is the next question she asked me when we were there, she was like, so does anybody in your family, like, you guys all like rap music? 
And it was funny no, because she didn't. Yes, no. because no. Here's, here's the thing. Yes, because here we go. Once again, that's what she had seen and been around all her life. And here's the sad thing is I'm saying this, but there's there's people that are going to be listening to this that are going to think, oh, yeah, I've always just kind of thought that, you know, everybody who's black likes rap music because that's that's what I hear. And, you know, they all wear do-rags or they all are trying to wear their pants half to hanging down. There is a group of people that I know that I meet with. Um, it's called Black Media United that I still meet with to this day, every like every three to six months. And what we try to do is we try to instill in young black men that just because you came from the place you came at and that's the environment you're around doesn't mean that's where you're dictated to go. Yes. And when she asked that question, it was funny to me at the time because I was like, well, I listen to all types of music. It doesn't matter to me. But in her mind, that's what she had already been taught and accustomed to believe. But that was not a true statement. at all. Right. And at it was all. so sad because, yeah, it was so sad because in her mind, that's what she had seen on the news and watching media outlets and probably heard from her parents. And uh, there was that's there was no there was no factuality in just making that blanket statement that everybody was black like rap music and it, and it was funny because she went into my room and she saw some of my posters she's like well I like that band too well what makes you think I would what makes you think that I wouldn't have that same you know desire to listen to other types of music than just one thing and, I, and I'm glad because even to this day we're still friends but it was at the time she felt safe enough to be able to have that conversation. And I think that, and I'm not speaking for all black people, but I think if people came when, with the idea of saying, hey, you know, I just want to ask a question because I've always wanted to know out of the idea of curiosity and not being a jerk about it, there's not a black person in the world I know who's going to bite your head off about just showing a curious uh, an eye of it or wanting to know more about culture and more, more about where you come from and what you're about. People will, I think, will generally respect you because you're coming from a place of curiosity. You know, I think you're just talking to such truth, just truth bombs all over the place. So thank you. And with that, it, it's a thin line a bit of, of what it means when someone comes genuinely with curiosity and how one asks, right? Um, mm -hmm. Because you know, tone does a lot, right? If, if, yes. one, if one hasn't, let's say, done a lot of their own research and they just come to their Black friend and ask a question, you know, it could be from a place of curiosity, but it, you know, it, it oftentimes I feel like growing up as a cultural other, people were asking from a place of, um, uh, what's the, 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 se the sense? It's like um, snickery. It, it, it's like it yeah like i'm above you yes. yeah like i'm above so you and I'm can you speak to that because that yeah. made me give a like if people asked about something that's not genuine curiosity it, it's laced with something yeah and see where and i'm gonna i'm gonna hit people with something that people need to understand very clearly <laughs> how this happens and works to where you can have that curiosity and people respect you for it and not coming from this place of I'm above you to ask this question or trying to belittle you to a point is I want you to be my friend first. I want to live life with you first and 
realize I'm your friend and then you can come to that place. You don't just bicker that out just the first day I meet you because then you're going to get some words. You're going to get some heat <laughs> brought right back at you. But if you're my friend and I know you're coming from a place of genuality and saying, hey, this is my buddy and I've known him for years, then we're cool. But I don't want you to be my friend just to have your token black guy show up to your party to give yourself validity. I want to be your friend just like all your other friends. We may not go and do the same things. I may not go to the same concerts. I may not even have the same school my kids go to. But if I'm your friend, I can relate to you on that level. Then you're clear to ask that question and we can go further with that. I think it's an important clarification <laughs> that, that you yeah. just made. Um, because the the above you kind of energy when you ask a question around any culture, not just coming to black people and asking a question, but any culture in that's general different than you, let's say from an American American centric point of view, it, it, it can come across as very offensive as if there's like this, mm -hmm. this again, I above you level. And it's like, what's that? You know? And it's like, well, or like, why do you guys do that? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Why do you do that? Exactly. Because would you do that to your friend? Is this how yeah. you would speak to your, so these are some of the questions you can ask. Like, is that the tone I would use with someone I love and respect? Is yeah. that the question I would ask with someone I love and respect? Is this a question I would even bring up to someone I love and mm -hmm. respect, right? And like learning to field our own question before you bring it to another body of culture as if you're poking, as if you're entitled to the answer. Yeah. And you're not, and that's why you you build up your friendship with them so you can become close to ask those questions. Yes. You know, and this one friend, like I said, Tracy, I had for years, um, had even asked me one time, like, I see you guys have this, like, stuff you put in your hair. Like, we put, like, mousse in. What is this that you guys put in your hair? And it was funny because she was thinking to herself, well, I could have a fro like you if I put this stuff in my hair. And I was like, no. That's not that's not how it works. This the, the greaser we use in our hair is to make it so our hair is, is more coarse and we need it's dry and we and we need other things to help loosen that up so it's easier to comb and then we can style it. You don't have the same thing that we do, and we have to use this to be able to make our hair do certain things. And here's the crazy thing is a lot of people just assume that you you would know that. But most people don't know because they, they how many people do you know that are white that ever would even shop in an uh, aisle over there where it has, you know, black beauty products? Most of them won't. So they don't even know what it's used for. So they're under the assumption that it makes it do something that isn't. But we use it just for the necessity to make ourselves um, be able to do things to our hair and to be able to to straighten it out or to make it easier to comb. And, yeah, it does have different smells. It does have different textures. But it doesn't make it as if you shouldn't be able to understand that that's what makes us all different. We have to do certain things that are different, either our hair and our skin. You know, uh, I mean, perfect example, we, we all went out one time together to go to um, a swim park. And she was out for maybe two or three hours and she was starting to turn solid red. And I'm standing there next to her. I hadn't put on any sunscreen or whatever. I'm just being myself and her response to me was, well, man, like, you don't, you don't ever have to worry about that. Well, yeah, I can still get cancers and just like anybody else can, 
but the pigment in my skin and, and the way that my hair is, but we're all different. And it's, it's okay to understand that you're different, but don't make it sound as if you're afraid to talk to me about it or make it sound like you're above me, like you're less than because the way that you were made. And I really want people to understand through this podcast, and when you build relationships like that, people will truly and dearly grab that closeness with you and to be able to have that solid friendship with you that last lifetime, if you come from a place of loving them from wherever they're at in their life and truly and dearly wanting to know out of a place of curiosity, not as in a place of being better than they are. Yeah, and curiosity about like culture and difference and and um, and, and not like difference like, ooh, that's different. But yeah. more like, wow, that's different. You know, and it has such a different connotation. Um, and around, and when you know? and when we're telling you, even though it may not be exactly what you do, don't act like you're trying to dissect it and try to figure out why. Understand that that's why we're different, and it's not meant for you to try to change it. It's meant for you to hear where we're coming from and understand what we go through. Everything from you know our skin being drier and hair being different chemicals and products we use understand coming from a place of it's okay that they're different not as if to try to change somebody or say i use this or i use that that's not the purpose of it the purpose is to tell you how we do things different yeah and i'll add to that that it's it's not in comparison to your body yes so this is where the myth of rooted white supremacy is a myth to all of us. It's a myth to white culture, black culture, every culture. You know, the myth is that any culture is compared to the white body. And yeah. that's not how it works because we're no. all just different. And so when you can, and what I hear, this is where I hear you really creating this stance is it's not, you're different and that's a different like like that that's this status and i'm this status it's more like curiosity to be like wow your skin is a different type of skin because you have melanin and i don't have melanin oh yeah and so you start learning just like you would learn about any cultural food yes. or place or you travel and you learn how different vegetation may grow in one region different than it grows in another yes. region <laughs> But we, but I'm telling you, we as a culture here in the United States, we, we've almost like, I, I call it the comparison tree. And anytime you compare something to something else, it loses its value. It really does because you're, you're trying to match it up to what you have and what I have. We don't want you to. We, we want you to say, all right, I have a friend that, that's Black and comes from a different culture and society. That's great. I love him right where he's at. And I'm not meant to change him or make him see it from my perspective on how I would do it. I'm there to be your friend and love you where you're at and wherever your family's at or wherever you guys are doing, I'm going to join in with you to see and learn more about it. And you're yes. not meant to go there and say, well, I wouldn't do it that way. Well, we do it this way. Well, that's, that's not what we're asking you to do. We're asking you to join in with us and accept this the way our culture is and the way we do things just as much as I wouldn't want to go into your house and do that. And I've had a lot of people try to do that over years and be like, I'm thinking to myself, you, you don't have to. I, I don't I don't want you to. I just want you to love me for who I am. And that's that. Mm -hmm. So well said.
Yeah, so well said. You know, we're talking about, you know, the humanity, the, 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 the celebration of, of difference in the, uh, in culture and humanity in all, yes. in all its expressions and, and, and that love that can show up in, in, in connection. I love how you've evolved to this place. And I know you've gone through lots of experiences to bring you here. And I'm wondering if you want to give us a snapshot into some of those um, where perhaps you didn't necessarily stand in this place of fully um, knowing how to be transparent and vulnerable and expose yourself so that it creates more safety for others to know that, you know, this is how, mm-hmm. this is how you're allowed to relate with me. And, and this is how you're not. Like, it sounds like you've put up some really good boundaries over the years, but you've grown to that. Yes, it's taken me a while to get here um, due to the fact that I would give a lot of the credit um, to the fact of my personal relationship that I have, um, that, I, that I'm a part, like I said, a part-time associate pastor. I've learned over the years that um, I have a foundation in Christ like, like no other. And I look and see how he conducted himself with all circumstances, whether people were coming at him with an angle to try to trip him up or people were coming at him angle trying to say, you're not religious enough. He always led with love, regardless of the circumstance or how people viewed what he was saying. He always led with love. And I've learned over the years, if I lead that way, it changes the way I see things, how I, how I open my mouth, my actions, if I'm leading with love all the time, it will allow me to be able to listen. That's the first thing. It allows me to be able to listen. And when I lead with love, it allows me to be able to learn. And if you can do those two things, then you can help other people see it from your perspective and help them also to be able to accept that they we may not have all the answers, but if I'm willing to learn and listen to other people, I will grow. And this podcast is a great way for people to see that we are not trying to go and change the world right now. That's not what it is. We want to inform people and to help them grab knowledge to have an understanding that it is okay that we're all different. But if you want to make this place a better place, listen to what people are telling you. And don't try to always come up with an answer for why things are the way they are. Learn to love people where they're at. And you may be able to learn more about yourself in that process. Maybe learn more about, yeah, maybe I am a little racist or maybe I am pretty judgmental or maybe I am not a very good listener and I'm always trying to come up with an answer when someone's talking to me. And by doing that, it's allowed me to have an amazing life with my wife who um, when we first got married, she's, she's German. And when we first started dating, some of the looks I got here in Arizona were, were people, you know, oh, look at this guy. He's, he's dating this black, I mean, dating this white girl. And he's, you know, he, he's, he doesn't stick to his own race. I heard all, I heard all. But what's taught me over the years, my wife has loved me unconditionally through all my faults and failures. And trust me, I brought her through some bad times, me being a knucklehead. But it had nothing to do with race. It had to do with the fact that we just loved each other. And we've been together now for 20 years, God willing, 20 more. And she's learned a lot from, from being around me, too. Um, one of the hardest things we ever had to go through was one night we were driving here um, in the West Valley. And cops pulled me over. 
And my wife goes, what did you do? And I go, I didn't do anything. So I pull over. The cop leans into the car. And I remember like it was yesterday. The cop leans in the car and looks at my wife and says, are you okay? Or is he holding here? Or is he holding you here without your will? And my wife, after we left, after the cop let me go, I took down his badge number and filed a complaint and everything. But after that happened, my wife looks at me and she goes, I, I cannot believe that just happened. And she looks at me and she goes, that is one of the most racist things that I've ever witnessed in my life. And she's all, you didn't blink, like you didn't flip out, like you didn't lose your cool. I said, and I explained to her what my dad had talked to me about. And she said, how, how have you dealt with this for so long? Like, how do you deal with this? And I, and I tell her the exact same thing. I just love people because I realize some people are ignorant. People don't know. And they come under these assumptions that me and you are different in some way. I have a family I want to come home to just as much as that cop does. But I'm not going to ever assume just because he's black that he's doing something wrong. And that's what I felt like that day. And my wife looks at me and she's like, man, I never knew that you had gone through stuff like this. And she had a whole new eye open, even though we had been married for a year, even her eyes were even opened up even more to where she goes, well, what are we going to do when we have kids? I'm like, well, the same conversation my dad had with me that I'm going to have with my kids to make sure that they come home safe because we love our kids. And it was so hard to hear it from her, to hear her perspective from the very first time seeing it the way she did, yeah, it made me realize, man, oh man, oh man, I've got a good wife that can see that that brought hurt to me that day. Mm. Mm. Yeah, what I heard is she had an embodied experience by being in the car with you of what it meant to be you for a moment. Mm -hmm. And that's not a rare occurrence for anybody in a white body to ever like have that like reality check. Um, and good on her, right. To, to be able to be like, Whoa. whoa. And it, I, I loved her because even more, because she looked at the cop and goes, you realize we're married. Right. And the cop goes, what do you mean? He goes, we're married. This is my husband. I'm here because I want to be here. And I was like, you go girl. You, Tell it, tell this man off. Like, I'm not gonna say that because I don't want to get shot. I said, but you can't because they ain't gonna shoot you. That's the way I was thinking at the time. And it, but you it didn't say it, you're it's just in your I, mind, oh, right? <laughs> oh, my mind, if my, if my mind could have spoke out, I'd still be in jail right now, okay? But <laughs> but she said it, and it was awesome because she had my back, and it, and it was so cool to see that like our love was a thing that held us together during that time, and her seeing what we had to go through. And yeah, so like just to be in that moment and like have her voice it right to have your back in real time moment, not something where she silenced and what like she said that to the cop in that moment. Yes. And I was like, yeah. you go, girl, you you tell him I go, I'm not gonna say nothing, but you can tell him. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and that was you said right after the first year of your marriage. Yes. That's like 19 years ago. So I'm, I'm sure you both have been through much more than that. She's from Germany, like German that way? No, no. Her, her, her family, um, they originally, they originally have German roots. You got um, it. But from and, Arizona or from, from the yeah, US? Yeah, she grew up in here in Arizona, but um, she has a good, strong German last name, Kaufman. And I mean, like when I met her, <laughs> that sounds we, I would have never even, yeah, no, it's C-O-F-F-M-A-N. 
Oh, it was okay. a good, strong German last name. And I remember when we first had met, like you would, you would never think we would have even dated or anything like that, but we just had this natural attraction and we fell in love with each other after a couple of years of dating. And I knew she was the one. That's beautiful. And, uh, and good, on, good on you both. Um, but you had said in your bio that you're both, you didn't necessarily, um, get a lot of support on both families or you just did get support, but not necessarily from all sides of the family. Um, both sides were kind of leery at first. Um, you know, um, her side of the family with her godfather hadn't only had never really, to be straightforward, he had never really, um, had black people in his life. So he had a lot of assumptions and my mom's side of the family, they had dealt with, you know, white people, but it had, was not always in the best of experience. And they were telling me, Hey, just be careful. Like, make sure that she's the one you don't want to be going into a relationship, not having your eyes open to her family, how they could treat you just because that's the way we had always been taught and brought up to have your eyes open and your ears open to what's going on around you to make sure you're making the right decision. And I understand where they're coming from. They weren't saying it in a negative connotation. They were just saying it because of what's happened throughout history. Yes. I want to pause there and just say what happened in history where a white woman could be the death of sons and, and, and whole towns and, and whole families. And that this isn't just a one or one or two off occurrence that there is a long, large history that many of us haven't had the opportunity to read where the white woman literally has been used as the reason why lynchings and families and and all sorts of abuses have taken place historically. So I can feel how like, say black families can be like, you don't bring a white one home. And if you do, then make sure the family, like what you said, paying attention to what the family around you is saying, because even if that's genuine love, you might not be safe where you're going. Right. And the history Mm -hmm. of that, the weight of the history, I want to acknowledge that we don't even have historical context fully. Black people, I think, have more historical context than white people when white people of our age and younger. Yeah. And the beautiful thing is over the years we've had um we've had people on her side of the family. Um, I've had a chance to help educate. Wait, pause yes. before you go to the beautiful place. I love that you go to the beautiful place, Danielle, but I want you to stay in the place of. That was the warning of the black side of the family. Yeah, I'd like to hear what happened on her side of the family first, because what I really love yeah. about how you speak, by the way, is you, like you said, is you go into what's the perspective of that person. So you you began speaking on that around um, he yeah. hadn't been exposed so, to black people much. Yeah, he had not been exposed to black people that much. And that was a voice in her life that was very prominent um, due to the fact that she didn't have a father he played a father figure role. So that is going to play a major role on decisions that she made and getting an opportunity to speak to her godmother and, and godfather to give them the reassurance that I wasn't there, what they may have thought the typical black guy that she had met, someone who truly and dearly loved her for who she was and who was striving to get an education and to make the best life for her. It, it, it lifted a lot of weight off of their shoulder because once again, they were coming from the views of watching just TV yes. and seeing 
the riots in, you know, in downtown Detroit and then the riots in Watts and all that stuff. That's that their their concept and idea of what a black man was was that. And it would took me to help them deconstruct and see that's that's not the case. You cannot throw every black man into that that bucket of your ideas of how you view us. And it took a little while. Yeah, tell us about that. But how you, how you it took us a little there. while because I met them several times. And the very first time was very uneasy. <laughs> I mean, you could have heard a pin drop in that room. Mm. But I had to eloquently speak to them and have real conversations with them and explain to them what my intentions were. And I even got to a point where I drew out a game plan so they could see that I was serious about her because I didn't want them to think it was just a fly by night thing. And by doing so, it helped me. We built up a lot of respect towards each other. And over the years, um, I even got an opportunity to, um, be a part of their life and, and, and ultimately join in in some of their family gatherings they had never really let anybody else join into over the years by simply looking to say, what can I possibly do to love these people where they're at and to also help educate them in a loving way to say, you got to stop thinking that way. Because mm. <laughs> that's just not, not true. Like what's coming out of yeah. your mouth is not true. <laughs> yes. The, the approach that you take of really meeting people where they're at and with love, um, it's really beautiful. And yet it also just, it's so patient, right? It really, it's such cultivated of cultivations of patience within yourself. Well, just as much as you can't see a tree grow overnight and bloom and blossom, you can't see people do the same thing either. You have to fertilize the ground that they're on and feed them knowledge and feed them truth and wisdom from where you're at so they can digest it because a lot of people it's it started from their grandparents and their grand-grandparents and their grandparents have taught everything from the little rhymings from eeny meeny miny mo catch a you know what by his toe like that that stuff you don't even realize begins at the root of all that and then it just starts to become a part of who we are as people and then you don't even realize you're thinking that until one day someone says, stop, you, that's, that's not true. Or that's not true about mm. black people in general. Stop. You, you can't think that way. Stop doing that. I want to just pause. You said a, a rhyme, right? Eeny, meeny, miny, moe, catch up by his toe. And I grew up with that same nursery rhyme, but it, it had a, it, to, to, to catch a tiger by his toe. That's yeah. what I remembered. But what I don't know if a lot of people understand is that, because I've only learned it recently in the last couple of years, that that's actually catch a N word by his toe. Yeah. That that's where that rhyme had that word in it, not a tiger, yes. folks. And so things that have been passed on in culture and tradition and family, what Daniil is pointing out is that a lot of these ideologies that spew out of us, you or someone else around you, isn't them, it, it might be their grandma and then their great grandma and then their, and, mm-hmm. and these are passed on because it's all you've been exposed to. But just because it's all you've been exposed to doesn't mean it's okay to carry on. And so therefore we can stop and be like, no, that's just not true, right? And, and help change the language that has just been allowed because it's always been there. Yeah. 
And it and it 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 hurts when people don't understand why we feel that way. And I'm glad I'm having the platform to be able to say it not as an anger and not saying, hey, I'm upset with you that way. It hurts because you don't realize the pain that my parents have gone through and the people in the previously have gone through to try to move forward. And what concerns me is when we don't evolve as people to get better, to have a better understanding, and we just stay complacent and just be whoever we were and whoever we you think you were created to and not have the knowledge to understand and learn that there's other people out there that have gone through a lot and want to move forward, but we can't move forward if people aren't willing to listen and to obtain knowledge and to gain wisdom from other people and just be willing to say, maybe that isn't right, or maybe I am wrong about this and let me research it and ask questions. And, you know, one of the things that made me laugh so hard several weeks ago was one of my wife's friends asked her this question, no joke. And this is, this is what I see in my everyday life that makes me just go, oh God, please help me. Her friend asked her, do you think I'm racist? And my wife looks at her and goes, why would you ask that question if you automatically don't think that you are? And she's like, well, I know you have a black husband and you, you, you're around him so maybe like you being around him kind of gives me uh, and you can give me a better idea. How racist do you think I am? And my wife asked her this question. No joke. She said, well, how many black friends do you have? She goes, well, I, I really don't. And my wife looks at her and goes, well, go make a couple. <laughs> because right there means that in, in from here's here's the thing. This is true for this podcast. People don't understand like you may ask those questions. You may not be wondering where you're at, but look at the environment around. Look who you hang out with. Look who you're friends with. If you don't have people that are outside of your normal everyday life that fit your bubble, then yeah, you, you have some areas that you need to work on because that world that you live in is just bigger than what the three people or five people you have within the, your intimate relationships Go out and make friends with black people. Go out and fake friends with people that are native or go out and make people that are outside of your culture. Yes. So you can become knowledgeable about what an other side of the world is out there so you can grow and you can become a better person. Yes. Yes. And you don't have to fly across the world to do that. You get to do it no. right next door. You can just do it right in your neighborhood and, and start moving, going out of your neighborhood to somewhere else. And, you know, notice what comes up in you when that idea is presented to you right now. You know, how yeah. does that make you feel to go surround yourself with people that are different than you? What shows up in your body? And, and these are the types of areas to inquire because this cultural exposure, right? And, and building safety so that we can build bridges and bridges of love is what I hear you speaking to so well. Absolutely. And bridges of love are what <clears throat> help us overcome where we've been as the, I, I call it as the United States, as we call ourselves, what, what, cause this is what we created and people don't like to say it, but we created this mess. We created this ever since the time of when true and dear slavery happened to where we're at now. Yes, we've overcome a lot of things, but we have a long ways to go because people like me and you are having these real conversations 
that are meant to help people when some people are still inside of their homes with closed doors and don't want anybody else to come in and don't want to grow and don't want to become more knowledgeable on other people's cultures and races and how they do things. And I, I, I hope and pray for people that are so ignorant to a point that they don't want to obtain knowledge. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had mentioned a story about that, about like really learning about your own history and like kind of like a real catalyst moment in your own learning the truth of, of, of his, history that, that we are presented yes. purposely. And so just can, can you go into that around like what that United States and just kind of. Yes. Yeah. Um, several was probably about three or four years ago. I got an opportunity to go to, and I, and I tell this to anybody, if you have a chance to go there to the African-American national museum in uh, DC it's, it's free, but it fills up quickly. People are there all day long that have true history of what's happened to, um, to the African-American man and, and, and woman since they've been here in the United States. And if you go down in this room, it's at the very, very bottom. It shows, uh, and I might even get choked up here bringing it up because it, 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 it broke my heart when I was there. I had to take a step out of the room, but it shows when African-Americans were brought over here and it shows the boats they were on and it shows the shackles and it shows these shackles that are about the size of a, about the size of your, your finger that they used to put on the little kids. And it shows the shackles they put on the men and women that were there. And then they shows these broken shackles that they would have because if someone would die, they didn't want to, stop the voyage, they would just throw them overboard as a waste of body. And what what makes me so sad is all of us look at this from where we watch these videos of like roots, or you watch these videos of, you know, 12 years of slave, and, and you see a small glimpse, but seeing the actual boards that people were bolted down to, and seeing uh, the slave ships that were there, it, it, it's, it's different. And it, and it just, it hits a part of your soul that you never thought could be touched with so much anger and so much pain mm. that people could be treated this way. Mm. And the sad thing is what we don't realize is our country was built upon slave free labor to build this place. Mm. And Many of the people that did great accomplishments never got the rightful ownership they should have got. I was in the room where I had a lady that was speaking to me there and she was showing some artifact history of some of Thomas Jefferson's writings. Mm. And Thomas Jefferson was an extreme racist. He had multiple slaves. And one of the things he wrote down was, I would like to say thank you um, to Benjamin Banneker he was a black man who designed the Mall of America, and he wrote it into notations saying thank you, but it, it was never meant to be publicized because Jeff, Thomas Jefferson wanted to take credit for all of it. But Benjamin Banneker was an amazing engineer who grew out the overall plans of the Mall of America and how it was supposed to look. And it's so sad to think this man worked so hard to make this place look like the way it, it does and got zero amount of credit for it. 
because he was by the color of his skin. And think about this. Imagine anybody who did a job and did a job well done and not received credit for it. It would make you angry. It would make you upset. It would make you go, why am I felt less than for a job well done to, to help build this United States that we have, but get zero credit for? Yeah. And just how many instances throughout history that's the case, the amount of inventions, electricity, it's just all these levels that I'm barely uncovering. I don't even, can't even imagine what you've uncovered in your history, but yes. just the amount of invention, like what you're saying, any man, any human would feel horrible if, if they didn't get credit for their writing, their invention, their, their copyright, any of the thing. And yet for this to be over and over and over again, Black people don't get credit because they weren't in uh, acceptable allowance of uh, where they were even human. And so for us to really understand the history of what we're standing on and illuminate it properly so that we can speak to it with the words as it was versus the way that we've been taught it to be. And I, and I will lay the challenge out to anybody. Do your own research. Read for yourself and do history so you can become knowledgeable to have an understanding on why people feel the way that they do and about our country and about the way that we did things. So you have an understanding on why people feel the way that they do because these things that hurt like that, they aren't healed overnight. That's right. Just as much, and, and I have a great way to explain it. Um, my um, grandpa used to have a post out of their old farm. And this post was this big piece of oak that they had cut out. And they would, they would hit nails to it. And these nails that they would hit to it, they would pull them out. And one day he came to me and explained to me, he said, man, this oak piece here is so strong and so, and so, so fierce. Look at all the welts and damage it's taken over the years. And even though it's strong on the outside, Look at look how it's beginning to break and become brittle, because that's exactly what a lot of black people have gone through. They're still standing up strong and they're still fierce to be able to be able to move on with life. But they have a lot of welts and a lot of scars that they've gone through that we don't talk about sometimes because we're trying to figure out our own lives and deal with it. And we want people to understand we're not mad. We're not upset with you. We want you to become knowledgeable so you can understand where we've come from. Yes, bring some empathy to the table, bring some understanding, not just unawareness and ignorance. And history yes. might've kept white people ignorant and, you know, but that's not enough, right? Going forward, no. we have to start educating ourselves because the information's available. You just gotta do some digging and it's gotta be important enough. Black humanity mm -hmm. and humanity in general, just culture and humanity has got to feel important for us to do our own research. Black history is our history. They're inseparable. And it's so a part of the United States just as much as Native American history is a part exactly of the United right. States, just as much as Mexican American history is a part of the United States. And until the day we realize that and open up our eyes, we're, we're all, we're going to be we're, we're allowing ourselves to be put in this crazy bubble of yes. just a small amount of knowledge when the world, I mean, the internet can, can give you access to information. It's just your choice if you choose to open it up or not. Yes. Yes. 
Yes. So I don't mean to cut you short, but I've got to pick up my child here in a second. No, it's okay. I want to just say, is there anything that lasts that you want to say? I mean, you just kind of wrapped us up. So I think that's pretty strong, but is there uh, any last wisdom that you want to partake to our listeners here? Um, love people. That's what I'm going to live on that note. If you love people, you will see change. You can't come in with preconceived ideas. Be willing to learn, love, and listen. If you do those things, you, you can help change this world to be a better place. Beautiful. And uh, before you go, give us an intro into why you chose this music. Uh, I always ask guests to give us a song for the episode. And while it is copyrighted, so we don't listen to the whole thing, um, what we do is have a playlist and you can uh, jump on over to the playlist and listen to the songs for episodes. Um, I chose this song. It's about being against, it's like, it literally means like being against the world of everything that they tell you is correct. Um, some of the song lyrics tell you that if you bring up love in a specific spot, people don't want to hear it. But if you bring up drugs and guns and violence and twerking, that's more acceptable than hearing truth and reality. Mm. That's why I chose this song, because it, it's true that we're more willing to listen to what society says than what truth is. Yes. Well, the song is called God Over Money, Us Against the World. Bizzle Bumps, mm -hmm. INF, Sela, Dayton, Jared Sanders, and AI. So um, yeah. I'm going to play a little sample here. I want to thank you so much for being with us and uh, and, and bringing your, your love and wisdom and uh, knowledge to this podcast for us. All right, let's let us thank snippet you. here of this song. Got over money. The wait is over. And as long as this world is against our Lord, it'll be us in the belly of the beast but i know that god kept me i could barely feel the heat uh, mouthpiece like a semi when it's beat to perform a c-section on the belly of the streets uh, hater i tell the truth in the game of lies right for the ones at the bottom got them aiming high they got you willing to die for paper that they supply you sell your soul they pay your body and break your mind we hit the radio station they say they can't oblige claiming christ may offend y'all but i can spray a nine pop a pill tell you all right, folks, you can listen to the full song on the playlist. Thank you so much for that. And um, again, I want to thank you for being here on the podcast. Thank you for bringing your voice. And this is another episode of the Everyday Whiteness podcast. Please remember that dismantling whiteness is an everyday, all-day, lifelong endeavor. It does not end. It's a commitment to think, to do, and to live better than we've ever been expected to or allowed to before. Dismantling the myth of white body supremacy begins inside of you, inside of me, and inside of the collective we, in our personal commitment, in our own bodies of culture, to grow the white experience beyond assumed supremacy. I invite you to listen, to learn, and to grow beyond the limitations that whiteness has continued, that has and continues to impose on all of us. If you need support beyond this listening space, you can connect with me at gurunishan.com. I'm a writer, speaker, and trauma healing activist, offering free and paid resources, online courses, and consulting in body-based cultural intelligence. If you'd like to be a guest and share your story, please email me at gn at gurunishan.com. 
Please also like, subscribe, rate, and review, and share this podcast with someone you love. Your listening and sharing support is greatly appreciated. We'll talk to you on the next episode. The information presented in this podcast are for general educational purposes only. The views and opinions expressed are solely the views of the individuals involved. By listening, you agree not to use this podcast as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others, including but not limited to patients that you are treating. Nothing in this podcast is intended to replace the services of a trained therapist, doctor, or health professional, or otherwise to substitute for professional mental health, medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Guru Nishan LLC and affiliate organizations shall under no circumstances be liable to any listener of the podcast or viewer for any action or inaction on your part as a result of the content you consume on this podcast or for any adverse reaction, including any emotional distress you experience as a result of consuming this podcast.